Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will be hearing from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he preaches a message on Satan from our series, Villains of the Bible, titled Pride, the Ultimate Enemy. Let's join in now. Today we start Villains of the Bible. And you may say, Dave, why are we studying the bad guys? Why, why is that working? Well, first of all, bad guys are kind of fun to study, right? And they're a little something in Elvis. Go like, hey, what is, tell me about the bad guy. Tell me a little bit more. But uh, here's some things that we find when we study villains of the Bible. First of all, we learn what not to do, right? You know, and, and there's some precedent for that because what did God do to Adam and Eve in the garden? He, he said, hey, you can do anything you want, but here's what not to do. There's this tree sitting in the middle. And so, uh, you know, from that time on, sometimes knowing what not to do helps you set boundaries for what you should be doing. And so studying villains will help us that way. Here's another thing that villains of the Bible will help us with. Villains of the Bible will help us understand who God is. We'll, we'll get to know more about who God is because when God comes in contact with sin, it elicits this crazy response from him that is directed by his holiness, by his perfection, by all that he is, and he has to like show up in some sort of character. And so these two things will drive our Villains of the Bible series. Next week, we'll look at Pharaoh. Uh, that's right, the Pharaoh um, who Moses had to stand up against and see how God interacted with him. But today, we're going to study Satan. We're going to study Satan, and our message today is pride, the ultimate enemy, the pitfall of pride. And we see that Satan's main sin was in this area. And uh, when it comes to Satan, we have a lot of misconceptions. And I want to challenge you to put on your thinking cap. In fact, if you have a handout Bible today, make sure, or any Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Isaiah 14, you're going to have to put your finger in three places, real important. Uh, if you have a handout Bible, that's page 393, 393. Um, put a finger in Ezekiel chapter 28, that is page 486. And I want you to grab a hold of this because uh, many of us have misconceptions about Satan. We're about to bust a bunch of them today and rebuild our concept of who the devil is. And so, uh, and then turn to Revelation, keep a thumb in Revelation 12. So Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14, Revelation 12. That's page 393, 486, and 719. And uh, remember how uh, a long time ago I told you, when it comes to the, the preaching and teaching ministry here at Elevation, we have a mixed bag. Some days it's going to hurt your head, okay? Some days it's going to just inspire your heart. Some days it's just going to be motivating. Well, today in the beginning, we're going to have to put on our thinking caps just a little bit and check our brains into what's happening. Now, when it comes to Satan, um, here are some of the misconceptions we have. If, you, if you're a baseball fan, uh, oftentimes you may think Satan is the New York Yankees, okay? <coughs> the evil empire in baseball, right? Um, you may think, you may honestly think that Satan is your boss at work that yells at you, right? And, and that he's the one in your ear screaming, oh, that, that guy's the devil, right? Um, some of us, when it comes April 15th, we believe the IRS is Satan, right? And, and, we're, and, and we don't like them very much. Um, I know I grew up in a church culture where 80s rock bands were, were the devil, right? If you, if you listen to Kiss or if you listen to Def Leppard or, um, you know, Metallica or Iron Maiden, oh, they're the devil, right? That was kind of what was told to a lot of us growing up. Um, 
How about this one? Many of us kind of view the devil through the lens of a Star Wars kind of mindset. Oh, the devil must be like Darth Vader, you know, kind of fallen, was good, but, but now isn't. And we let movies direct our view of who the devil is. Um, some of us think that the devil is like a guy on our shoulder, right? It's like there's the good angel or there's Jesus on one shoulder. There's the devil on the other. And the devil's simply this guy that, oh, I just can't help myself. I got to go, you know, look at pornography. Or, hey, I got I to gotta go ahead and just unload my anger at my family right here because, oh, I just can't. I have to give in to him, you know? It's just how it is. We view the devil that way. And then most of us pretty much, I would say, at the basic core of American thinking of this, we view the devil as a little red guy, right, with horns on his head who has a list of all the misdeeds. But I, I'm here to tell you today, um, all of these things are really not who Satan is. It's kind of mind-boggling. Huh? You're starting to think, wait a second, you mean he doesn't have red horns? We don't know, right? No one's seen him. But here's where we need to look today. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, and keep a finger on Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 12. We need to look to God's Word to find out answers, don't we? Isn't that the best place to look today? Do you believe that, that God's Word is the best place to look? Well, here's what's going down. Um, Before we get into the Scripture today, um, this is a very, very, very unique topic, the topic of Satan. As a matter of fact, um, I was eating lunch with somebody who's coming to our church, and, and he said to me, Dave, you, you do realize you're going to try to preach on Satan in one Sunday, and it could take a month. And I went, oh, it'll be fine. And as I got into it, I was like, man, I should be preaching on this for a month. Um, and, and so I'm going to try to make it as concise as possible, but you're going to have to follow along with me here, okay? Follow along. Um, here, here's what you need to know. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are the only two real references that can even come close to describing Satan up in heaven with God, okay? That, that can even come close. Now you say, Dave, why are you saying coming close? Well, it's because these two passages we're about to read, there's a lot of argument in, within Christianity on whether or not these passages are even talking about the devil or not. So I want to, and I'll tell you why. Here's what you need to do. Everybody take out your pen. Take out your pen. And I want you to write down a few things. You'll want to know this. This will help you understand God's word. It will help you understand your enemy, the devil, even better. Um, Number one, when you read the Bible, here's what you have to know. The Bible has one meaning. The Bible has one meaning, many applications. If you're new to reading the Bible or maybe you're a little, like you said, I don't read it that much except for Sunday because, well, I don't understand it. You have to know the Bible has one meaning. It meant something to the people who were reading it back when it was written, right? That's, that's the scripture. That's what we, we have to understand. And so here's the second layer, something else. Sometimes in the Bible, you can write this word down, sometimes there is prophecy. What is prophecy? It's a foretelling of what's happened or maybe even gives you insight into something spiritual that's happening. And so here's what's happening in Isaiah 14. First of all, Here's what I want you to do. Next to the word Isaiah, right there in your Bible, write Babylon. Write Babylon. This is very important. Isaiah 14 is talking about the fall of the king of Babylon. If you're new to the Bible, you know how all that stuff you, you see on like CNN and Fox News and all that kind of stuff? Um, if you're new to the Bible, uh, the temple was built by Solomon, the temple in Jerusalem. It was destroyed first by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in 586 B.C., 
Isaiah 14 is talking about this king of Babylon who would destroy the temple in Jerusalem for the very first time. And so we, we move on. Ezekiel, next to Ezekiel, write this word, prince of Tyre, prince of Tyre. That is who Ezekiel 28 is talking about because uh, in both passages, they're talking about prideful kings, prideful leaders who fell. All right, now does your head hurt? If your head hurts, say amen. Oh, maybe not. Okay, maybe you're tracking with me. So here's the thing you have to know. Um, and say it if you know it out loud. This is a little bit more of a teaching than a preaching moment, but that's okay. Um, the angel known as Satan in heaven is commonly known as, does anybody know that name? Lucifer. Ah, Lucifer. Oh, you are paying attention. You are with me. Good. Now, here's what's happening. You need to know this about Lucifer. Isaiah 14, before we read the passage, is the only passage in the Bible where we get the name Lucifer. And even more crazy, it is predominantly only in the King James translations, the New King James and the King James. Why do you ask? Why is Lucifer in those translations of the Bible, but it's not in other translations of the Bible? Dave, does that make the Bible not true? No, not at all. Um, here's what happened. When the guys who were transcribing the Bible into King James were going, they weren't going from Greek and Hebrew texts. That's what the Bible was written in before. They were going off of what was called the Latin Vulgate. That was a Bible translated from Greek and Hebrew into Latin around 200 B.C. And when they did, they actually just used the Latin word when they were doing the English. And what do you think the Latin word is called? What's the name? Lucifer. Yeah, that's how you say the Latin word. And so they kept it. But here's what I want you to write down. Take it down with your pen. This is huge. Lucifer really is just a Latin word trying to, trying to help you understand the Bible here. That means morning star or bright shining one, okay? And so people sometimes have a problem because who else was called the morning star in the Bible? Who else? Jesus. He did in Revelation 22, verse 16. Jesus said he was the morning star. So people say in Isaiah, what we're about to read here, why is Satan called the morning star and why is Jesus called the morning star? Can they both be called the morning star? Your head might be hurting, but track with me here for a second because it'll get a lot easier, I promise. If you're with me, say amen. Good. All right, now, here's, the, here's some more stuff in the Bible. Do you know that Satan and Jesus also share a common title called the lion, right? Um, in Revelation 5.5, 5, we learn that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, well here in First uh, Peter 5.8, Peter calls the devil a roaring what? Lion. Well, how are Jesus and Satan similar? Well, in a, in a lion sense, because Jesus is a king like a lion is, but Satan is like a lion in the sense he devours, and that's where all the similarities stop, right? And Satan and Jesus, that's it. And so you need to know, I believe as your pastor, it is okay to look at this scripture through the lens of prophecy, but I would tell you this. It might be wise to actually drop the name Lucifer, and really say that Satan's name in this passage as a spiritual um, sense is actually morning star or shining one. That might be more correct than actually saying Lucifer as a name. So if you get it, say, I got it, Dave. If you're lying, don't say. Okay, here we go. Let's go ahead and read Isaiah 14. And, and again, this is a little bit more of a study today, but it'll help you with, with who Satan is. Here is a picture that we get, I believe, not of earthly Babylon, what I told you about earlier, but of spiritual Babylon. 
Okay? And here's what it says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And remember, this King James is the only version that has Lucifer uh, outside of a precious few others. And, uh, and this, this verse right here, how you are fallen from heaven, Jesus actually gave this verse a nod in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and Revelation 9, 1, where he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And this is why I believe this passage is saying, giving us a glimpse into eternity, like kind of into heaven before the creation of the earth. Isn't this crazy that we're talking about before the creation of the earth? Here's Satan. Here's what he says. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like, what does he say? The most high. Wow. So Satan, if we get a picture of spiritual Babylon, we see that this war uh, against God and and we see that he has pride beginning to fall in his heart. Now, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 28 very quickly. And uh, look at verse 11 and 12 in verse 13. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. This is who the passage is definitely about. And say to him, Thus says the Lord God. But here comes the spiritual implication of the books. And Isaiah and Ezekiel are both prophetic books. It's not uncommon to have a spiritual meaning uh, in addition to the real meaning. So it says this, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And, And he goes on to talk about this. And in verse 14, look, he says, you were the anointed, what's that word? Cherub, who covers you. So he was an angel. We get that Satan was angelic. So here's what you want to write down. So who is Satan? He is a fallen angel. Number one, here's your first blank. John 8.44 also says, Satan is a liar. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus. Satan is a liar at his core. Um, You know what? This is really important because a lot of times we look at people and we want to see material stuff and say, you know, who is Dave Carroll? Well, Dave is a pastor. Dave is this. But very rarely do we look at character, right? And, And here Jesus looks at character and says, who is Satan? Satan is a liar. And you have to know that many of you have... And, and, and myself at times in life, we buy into the lies of Satan, don't we? Don't we just give in when, when really the truth of Jesus is right there? But this is who Satan is. Who, who else is Satan? Satan is loose to roam the earth. First Peter 5.8 says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he might destroy. And sometimes we don't realize what's at stake. And here's your next blank. Satan was an angel. He was a cherub. And, and What were the jobs of the cherubs, just so you know? Um, The job of the cherub angels, you know, there's cherubim, seraphim, different types of angels. But the job of the cherubim, think about this. This is Satan. His job before he fell was to magnify the holiness and the power of God. What a U-turn, right? What an incredible U-turn this was. This is Satan. And by the way, a little thing about angels. We're learning a little bit today, right? Your head is hurting, but here's what's happening. 
Here's some characteristics about angels. Look in your program there or look on the screen and, and, and track with this because this is going to correct your theology. It's going to correct your view of what really happens because many people believe that when we die, we become what? Angels. But that's not true. You see, angels are created beings. They're different from humans, and you don't become an angel when you die. This is what the Scripture says, not what Dave Carroll says, but the Scripture, the Word of God, where we come from. Angels are immaterial. They're invisible. They're genderless. They never die. They have free will. Angels are separated from God. They can be separated from God because of sin. We see that in who? Satan, right? But here's the thing. This is real important, what we'll learn about God here in a second. They, they, they're separated by sin, but they cannot be saved. Whoa. If an angel sins against God and, and is separated, there is no way to bring an angel back. They have great power. They're individuals. They are created yet eternal. They don't procreate. We learn that from Luke 20. They have great power. They have, there's been a set number, a very large number, who knows how many, thousands upon thousands, created in the beginning. They can perform miracles, travel a great distance in a short time, and angels can communicate directly with God. We see that in the book of Job, right, where, where you see this spiritual conversation happening. And here's what you need to know about Satan. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. <coughs> Revelation chapter 12. And then the head part is almost done, okay? So here we go. Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 9. Here's what happens. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 9, page 719 in the handout Bible. It says this, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars. You ready for this? His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. You see, that's where you get that Satan took how much of heaven? A third. Took a third of heaven. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her 1,260 days. One day we'll study Revelation and get into that part, but I'm sticking to Satan, okay? I'm going to do it. I'm not going to go rabbit trail. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Now, verse 9, this is where we'll stop. This is where we find the names of the devil in the Bible. You want to know the names and why they come about. Here they are. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. The great dragon, right? That's one of your blanks. Two, that serpent of old. He is called the serpent, right? He is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. So there you see in your blanks right there, what are the most common names? Satan, the great dragon, the serpent, and then we also see the devil. And then what do we know about Lucifer? Lucifer really isn't a name, right? Lucifer just means morning star, and he was the shining one. You can make the assumption that the devil may have been one of the most important angels in heaven that is highly possible. So 
here's what you need to know. Skip all the way down in your blanks there um, to Satan is locked in a spiritual battle. Here's what we need to know about Satan. Satan's whole job is to be in a spiritual battle with you and I where his most effective weapon is death. Everybody say death. <clears throat> that is his most effective weapon. Why? Because if someone does, is not rec- reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, by the time they die, they're eternally separated from God. That means they go to hell. That means Satan has deceived them, and they spend eternity with Satan instead of Jesus. And so, Dave, you're saying, does that mean hell is real? Yes. Does that mean Satan is real? Yes. That's what the Bible teaches. But there's this spiritual battle where his most effective weapon is death, and he uses deception to get us all the way to the point of our lives where we die without Christ. And here's what you also need to know as a Christian. You know that thing that's really bothering you that you can't quite give to God? You know that, that area of your life that no one knows about where you kind of go, man, I just wish, why do I never get that right? At its very core, at the very core of its being, it's because Satan the deceiver, all he's trying to do, he has no power except for one. And that is to put the wool over your eyes so that you do not see the victory and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And that's why we live defeated. Not because Satan has some power over us, but because sometimes we're, we're too dumb, if you will, to, to just go, oh, wait, that must be a deception of the evil one. And we lift up the wool. We lift up the curtain. And we go, oh, wait, there's power in Jesus. And so his deception of choice is sin. He gets us to sin. Sin brings guilt, and guilt makes us kind of have a distant relationship with God. Speaking of God, what does this study of Lucifer reveal? You want to write these down. Here's two things we learn about God that you'll want to know. First of all, God is jealous. God is jealous. If you think that God is incapable of punishing, well, how can a good God punish You need to look no further than Satan to see that God is jealous for himself. In other words, it's not a bad jealousy. It's a jealousy that's saying, I am God, and I'm holy, and I'm the creator, and I'm all-powerful. And you know what? I, I deserve the glory, and God wants the glory. And when he doesn't get the glory from us in our lives, Houston, there's a problem, right? There's a problem when God doesn't get the glory, and God will stand up for himself. Some of us like to, like, paint this little picture of Jesus. It's like kind of like a wimpy picture of Jesus, you know. But really, when it comes to sin, Jesus, the loving part of God, will he'll go, um, let's put that on hold for a second and go over here and whoop some tail and take care of business. Why? Because I deserve to be worshiped. And so we kind of get to, out of this that God wants respect and he wants reverence from us, not just at church on Sunday, but every day of our lives. Here's the second thing. That just, it, this overwhelmed me as I was studying, and that is that God loves people. You know, when I was studying this and I was thinking, there is no way for Satan and the fallen angels, also known as demons, there's no way for them to be reconciled from God. The cross does not apply to angels. It only applies to who? People, humans. What does that say about God's heart for you and me? What does that say about our attention, how much attention and affection and worship. You know why we get excited here? Because God made a way through Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. 
that out of all of creation, even spiritual beings, the only ones who can be reconciled to God through the blood of the cross is you and I. That's huge. That's humongous. That's what we learn from Satan. Is While he is doomed and damned to hell for eternity, you and I have the opportunity to have Jesus in our lives and to be forgiven. Isn't that great? That's a great thing today. And so that's what we learn about God, his jealousy, but also his love of people. But let's go move to Satan's big sin because this is where we can kind of learn today. You can write this down. Satan's big sin is pride. Satan's big sin is pride. Now, I admit I have a pride problem, but normally it's during sports and video games. You know what I'm saying? Um, If I ever beat you in sports or in a video game, you're going to like totally look down on me as a pastor. You'll be like, what? That guy's a pastor? Because I will talk smack, right? But that that's not Satan's, you know, we're talking about things that matter. You know what I'm saying here for a second? Yeah, if I beat you in fantasy football, you know, you can just watch out. You, like, won't even want to be my friend. You'll probably leave the church, okay? Um, that, that's what will happen. But Satan's big sin was pride. We saw from Isaiah 14, right? Look back at Isaiah 14. What did it say um, in verse 13? It said, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Uh-oh, right? And at the end of verse 14, he says, I will be like the most high. Satan wanted to put himself on the throne of his own life. How many times do we mess up with that, right? That's pride. Let's look at the definition of pride. Pride is undue confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state, possessions, or position. You see that undue confidence in ourself, that's not, that's not where our confidence needs to lie. But isn't it scary? Here's your next blank too. Isn't it scary to think that if Satan's key sin, if this is what caused him to fall from heaven, was pride, and, that, and the sin of pride is what actually produced the devil, okay, you can't track it with me? If that's the sin that produced the devil, Isn't it scary to think that that's pretty much the sin that you and I struggle with the most? Isn't pride pretty much at the root of everything that's going wrong in our life? When our marriages go in the tank, it's because, well, it's because I need, right? When our work is going wrong, it's because, well, they did that and I should get. It's I, I, I. And it's very scary to me as I was sitting there studying going, wow, the thing that we all struggle with the most, trying to put ourselves on the throne, instead of surrendering and submitting to Jesus Christ, that's the thing that produced the devil. I want to run from that sin like the wind. Now, I don't have a very good 40 time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you look at me, I'll block for you if you can run, but that's about it. If you're with me in the woods and a bear is attacking, he's going to eat me. Okay, I'll just tell you that. That's what's going to happen. You're going to beat me in the foot race. Right? You don't have to be faster than, that's one thing I've learned being a Florida boy from Montana. You don't have to be faster than the bear, just your buddy, right? That's it. But here's what we know. Here's what pride produces. Write these down. Very important. Pride produces wrong decisions. This this is if you're saying, "Gee, where's the pride factor in my life? Um, Where where am I messing up?" Maybe like Satan did. If you have a bunch of wrong decisions, where you're becoming prideful and not listening to people who God's put in your life. Maybe God's put people in your life 
uh, over top of you to give you sound counsel, and you're saying, no, I don't need that counsel. I'm just going to go do it my way. You might be suffering with pride. It also produces destruction for myself and others. We see that very clearly with the example of Satan, his eternal destruction. But isn't pride very destructive? It, it, it just destroys it destroys your self-worth. Ironically, you're trying to build yourself up, but it's the very thing that's chipping away at your knees. It's, it's pulling the carpet out from under you, and, and that's not the answer. And here's the other thing that pride produces every time. You ready for this? And this is huge because we all struggle with this. It produces distance in my relationships. Pride always produces distance. And when you take pride out, you get your life built up. You see the distance close when pride is taken out of the gap uh, of relationships. You see decisions start to turn around and people willing to pay the right price to do the right things. Here's what we know. Pride ultimately, here's what you need to know about pride. Ultimately, it fails how many times? Every time. That's right. Pride fails every time. Isaiah 2.11 says, human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Who gets the glory? Jesus, right? Who gets the praise? Jesus. Who do we humble ourselves under? Jesus. Why? Because he is the prescription. You can write that down. He is the prescription for pride. You know, one of my favorite lines ever in all of comedy is uh, the scene. Have you seen the scene where uh, Will Ferrell does a little more cowbell on Saturday Night Live? It's my favorite because the director walks in. You know, there's this band and Will Ferrell has a big cowbell. This director is walking in, and each time he walks in after a take that the band had messed up, he says, guys, guys, that was good. That was real good. But it needs a little more cowbell, right? And so Will Ferrell would beat it harder. And the last time he walks in, he says, guys, I got a fever, and the only prescription is a little more cowbell. And that's what made him feel better. Well, here's the prescription for pride. There is only one prescription. I wish I could give you five steps to beating pride, but that's not possible. Because there's only one, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the only cure for pride. Why? Because he is the only one who went all the way to the cross and knows true humility. This is who Jesus is. You see, as we follow Jesus, you might have come in today and you might be far from God, or maybe you haven't attended church in a while, or maybe you've attended church a ton and you've gotten stale. I can tell you this. If you'll just get behind Jesus and follow him, learn his word, begin to take on his character, if you'll do those things, you will possess the quality, and here's your next blank, of humility. You will get this quality. You can't buy it. You can't read enough books. You can't try to copy someone enough. The only way you get humility that we see in the Bible, the kind that defeats the devil. Who in here wants to defeat the devil, right? And see the devil defeat in their life. To pull the curtain back, the only way that happens is by following Jesus. And as you follow him, you begin to understand biblical humility. You know what it means to pull yourself back, to let Jesus be in front. And here's the thing. If you can let Jesus be in front, then you're smart enough to push the sin behind you every time. You'll be smart enough to push it behind you. Here's the definition of humility. It's a personal quality in which an individual shows dependence on God and respect for others. You see, Jesus rendered Satan and his demons, the fallen angels, he rendered them defeated at the cross 
Why? Because humility trumps pride every time. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Remember how we said God loves who? People. He must love us a bunch. If we're the only ones he made away, he became flesh and blood. For as a human being, he could die. And when he died, what did he do? He defeated death, which we said was Satan's biggest weapon, right? His biggest weapon. Jesus defeated it. Here's what Hebrews 2 says. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You see, Satan is loose right? He's a roaring lion running around seeking who's devoured. But here's what you need to know, and here's your next plank. Satan is loose, but he's on a leash, man. He's on a leash. He's like that dog that's running after you in the neighborhood when you're trying to take your evening walk, but the dog doesn't know that it only has so far before it gets jerked back and could do no more. Satan is defeated. Now, I want you to know this. Many times as we go through life, because we fail, anybody in the room fail? Yeah, any, any failures? I'm raising my hand. We think that there's some big war, spiritual war, that's like it's going teetering back and forth, like sometimes the devil's winning, sometimes Jesus is winning, and we think it looks like an arm wrestling match, right? And I got this picture, and I love this picture. It's a pretty cool drawn picture. But, guys, this is not truly what's happening spiritually behind the scenes. You see, Satan thinks, Satan thinks he's arm wrestling, And we think that's what's going on. But here's what's really going on. Check this out. What Satan sees is an empty tomb. He sees a resurrected Savior. Satan is on the ground, defeated. We don't have to give in to him. Is there anyone who is willing to live in victory over sin? Victory over the devil. You see, and what our job is to do is to daily lift the curtain up. How do you do that? By staying in God's word, by following Jesus, by choosing to live for him, not just Sunday church, but every day. Choosing to follow Jesus and try, and try your best to surrender, to conform your life, to look more like him, to look more like Jesus. And when you do this, you live in victory because Jesus has given us the victory. Whatever you walked in today with, Jesus has given the victory. Can we praise the Lord because he is the one who has made us victorious? As, as the worship team comes up and we go to our response, Ryan, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. I want you to know today that Revelation 20.10 says this. Then the devil, this is at the very end, the very end of Revelation. Then the devil who had deceived them, I love this verse, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The number one thing you could know about this villain of the Bible, Satan, is that in your life and in my life, And in the future, and in the past, and in the present, Satan is, what's the biggest thing? He is defeated. He is defeated. The enemy is under our feet because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing today? And so during this response time, here's what I would ask you to do. If today maybe you you realize for the first time that, that God loves you so much, even more than angels, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, on the back of this card, there's a sample prayer. It's not a magical prayer but it kind of just runs you through. What would you say to God if you wanted him to save you? 
one that you've sinned, that you've fallen short of God, and that you know you need Jesus. Two, the Bible says if you believe that Jesus truly is God and that he died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, the Bible says you will be saved. And then you turn and you look more like him. If today, if you want to make this the first day that you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ, you do business with God in that, in that seat and you check that card and let us know. But for the rest of us in the room, here's the challenge. Look, I'm a pastor, right? And I can tell you right, I can tell you right away, every other day there's a struggle that's too big for me. Every other day it seems like there's a, a, a chance for me to buy into the lies of the devil, to get discouraged, to, to be defeated, to be broken down. But today, if you're like that and you're going, yeah, that's, that's kind of sometimes what happens to me too, if I'm honest. Today during this time, I invite you to do business with God and to recognize your foe, Satan, is defeated. He's always been defeated. He's never had a chance. And today, that you would give God the glory, that you would lift him high, and that you would say, God, would you please help me destroy the pride in my life by the work of your cross? I invite you just to bow before the Lord. Spend just a minute. Where do you need the victory of Jesus? Ask him for it this morning. Maybe ask forgiveness for buying into the lies of Satan that maybe Satan's calling you addict or he's calling you loser or he's calling you divorced or he's calling you something else. But today, in Jesus, you say, no, I know that I am victorious. listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.